Hey everyone, and welcome back to Any Crack with me, Shannon Callahan. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm going to just do a really, really brief intro because this is going to be a long episode. I sat down a few days ago with my friend Peter and we just talked about travel and travel trends, various kind of terminologies coming out of travel, how travel is different in various places and kind of throughout the pandemic and as we kind of exit restrictions in various places, things like that. So a really, really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I hope that it gets you thinking and if you want to join in the conversation, you know where to find me. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation. Um, so you and I obviously met because we work together. So yep. if you want to kind of start with you can give a professional background if you want but also personal background and whatever feels most relevant and prevalent to this conversation today that you want to share with the audience and then of course as you know because you are a great supporter and listener of the pod Mm -hmm. you hopefully have been thinking up what your favorite thing about me is (laughs) yeah and so i'll let you take it away okay um well first and foremost thank you for having me on i know we've been trying to get on together for a while now um and i even came to visit you in dublin and we had so much fun that we didn't even find we didn't find the time to record we were like running around all the time having the greatest time because the weather was like pretty decent so Mm. i'm glad we're finally here and we're doing this but okay so a little bit about me um i'll just i'll start with the personal and ease into the professional because it they they all sort of bleed together but Um, I'm originally from Indonesia. Um, I moved to the UK, to China, to the US. Um, My family lives in Amsterdam and the UK now. Um, And for the past two years, I've been in various places in Europe doing a master's. I lived in Denmark, in Slovenia and in Spain. Um, The various moves around the US led me to Philadelphia, which is ultimately where I started working for a company called Corporate Traveler. Um, And we shared a building with your brand downstairs. Um, And obviously two young, fun people were like, let's hang out. Let's try to make this corporate life a little less miserable. So... that's how we sort of came to be. And then when you, when I moved and then no, you moved first, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I think when I got over there, I was like, wait, like, who do I know in this hemisphere? And I would just reach out on various things. And then you started yeah. the podcast and I was like, oh, you're having a lot of the same experiences and you're a, a lot of things that you were um, sharing in season one. I was like, I was like, wow, like a lot of this is also happening to me. Go figure. <laughs> Shared experiences. Um, and I think, yeah, we just bonded over that. And yeah. then I came to visit and here we are. Um, and my favorite thing about you, I think there's a lot of, for me, 
there's a lot of depth to you. And I, I think that's for, for me, that was unexpected. And I, and, and my, that might be sort of closed minded of me, but I come from a very international background. I, you know, lived all over the place and it sounds like a privileged background and part of it definitely was, but there's also parts of it that were very difficult and, you know, coming to Philadelphia, I was like, oh, sure, I'll move to Philadelphia. My family at that point lived in Amsterdam. And I was like, should I go there? No, I didn't know who I was going to meet. But, you know, I, I met you and I was, I was, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was really pleasantly surprised by just how dynamic you are. And, and I think that there's a lot more, we have a lot more in common than I initially, like, thought we would. And yeah. it's been such a pleasure getting to know you both at that time and now relearning who you are through this experience has been a pleasure and I love that you share your experiences for us to to you know to listen to and I think it's great thank you and I think for us yeah like when we worked together because we weren't like we weren't working side by side right it was we came together yeah. for the social stuff so we right. didn't know each other on the day today um right. and certainly like we owe Rovina shout out as well I think for bringing us together 100% again as and and again when she had kind of given me I think she had given me your Instagram yeah back when you had moved over so that's and then being able to reconnect like it's nice to get to yeah like you said to get to re-meet each other almost and kind of as we're on the these similar journeys of of living elsewhere living abroad and the experiences we're having it's nice to have people that you know from before who are now yeah. in this same journey with you so that's great um and yeah i brought i think when you had come to dublin i don't know like we were we were kind of thinking we'll just hop on and we'll just see like what we talk about but <laughs> yeah. i think i think what um what's inspired me for this conversation today is your work through your Peter in Barcelona Instagram and just how you started using that to not only share what you're doing, but then to start kind of thinking about what it means to travel and be a tourist and to move to a new place and assimilate mm -hmm. to culture and things like that. And so I thought you'd be a great person to speak to about something that we have a mutual interest in, which is kind of tourism culture and heritage and things like that. So that's yeah. where we'll kind of move into today. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, we were talking about some topics and questions we can get into. And I think from your your page or Instagram, you talk a lot about kind of sustainable tourism and trends in tourism and things like that. So for you, kind of what's your motivation and your inspiration and like what is sustainable tourism and kind of why is it something that motivates you in this kind of work that you're doing? Um, so to sort of bring it back to the beginning as to, to how I got into what I'm doing at the moment. So as you said, you know, we worked for this company that was a huge travel company. Like I think at the time it was like the fourth largest travel retailer in the world. Yeah. You know, we were fed that corporate culture of it all and, and sort of given only one side of an incredibly multidimensional industry. Um, yeah. And in the spring of 2019, I went back to Indonesia to see my family. And I took some of my 
friends with me. I took my partner and my friends with me. And when I was there, I it was a completely different experience having people who aren't from that culture with you. Mm. Because you naturally fall into this like tour guide sort of role because they have all the questions and they expect you to have all the answers, right? Yeah. Yep. And I found myself having to explain to them things that I didn't really understand myself. Mm. And it was exhausting, right? And so I'm at this point where there's, you know, it's no secret that a country like Indonesia doesn't have the best waste management you know, practices or sustainability capabilities. They're definitely trying, but there were moments where, you know, my partner or my friends would be like, oh, you know, how how come there's so much trash here? Or how come this is so highly visited? And how come this isn't better managed? And I didn't, I didn't have an answer for them. I was like, uh, mm, that's just how it is. I don't, you know, and being from there, that's something you accepted. And so I got, I remember getting off the plane on the way in New York after we had come back, just on my phone, Googling like sustainable tourism, sustainable travel. Like, how can I learn more about this? How can I get more involved? Um, and I came across the, the program that I eventually ended up in, which is the European Masters of Tourism Management, which is done through Erasmus. And it's a it's a it's a very interesting journey through three different universities. And the first semester at the University of Southern Denmark is really, really focused on sustainability. And they, in a very typical Danish way, look at things incredibly practically and are very they're practical, but they're passionate at the same time. It's a really unique learning experience. But there's a lot of academic definitions of sustainable tourism and a lot of people have a lot of things to say about it because ultimately and this is only my opinion sustainable tourism doesn't exist mm. it mm-hmm. some it inherit in some way shape or form tourism will forever be exploitative whether that is of physical resources, whether that is of people's time, whether that is of things like intangible cultural heritage. Mm -hmm. I personally don't think it exists. I think there are ways that we can minimize impacts, but it's one of those concepts that is constantly changing over time. And I think there has to be more than one way that we can approach this. And, And there is based on all of this, these definitions, but Ultimately, the, sort of the the most widely accepted definition is that it's it's tourism that you know takes into account current and future needs in all three pillars, which are the economic, um, environmental, and sociocultural. But it also has to take into account the needs of visitors, the needs of the industry, the needs of the environment, the needs of the host communities. So you know, who's to say whose needs outweigh the others and, and how do we manage that? And that's why I think at the end of the day, there's, it's, it's, it's very controversial, I think, in, in yeah. a lot of circles. So who's to say really? Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk, you and I have talked a lot about 
tourism as like a concept and yeah you you when we worked together you were kind of on the corporate side I was involved in group travel so destination and particularly destination weddings and destination anniversaries birthdays and specifically in the Caribbean and Mexico and thinking through you, you know you become aware you're trying you as you said, in that corporate culture, of course, it's we're selling this amazing experience in this beautiful island, this, you know, imagine getting married with this beautiful sunset that you can't get anywhere else in the world on this white sand beach and all the rest. Um, and it sounds glamorous and beautiful. But then I remember, you know, there would be we'd always have to be monitoring news reports and things because we'd have to be almost PR people spinning if something was happening outside of the resorts. We'd have to be, no, the resort is still safe. No, you know, this isn't, they're not interested in tourists. Tourists are safe. Things like the ways that we were asked then to kind of create a bubble for the people going to these spaces. And so when you create a bubble by putting people on these resorts, what do, like what kind of experience really is that what kind of tourism is that when they're in this situation you know they're staying I was always kind of thinking about there was something that didn't sit quite right you know when people would say oh you know you can go to Jamaica you just don't leave the resort or you go to x place you just don't leave the resort and and that kind of yeah what kind of tourism is that and as you said the the exploitation of of space of people of cultural heritage um and yeah and so when yeah when you think about sustainable tourism I agree I don't think it's possible because ultimately as well I think tourism is rooted in there's there's some type of colonial mindset of tourism of going into a space that isn't yours and asking people to perform for you their culture and tell you their history and give you an experience there is something in that that is quite linked to colonialism because sure when we didn't know when we were born into a space and we didn't know how much of the rest of the world existed you were an adventurer if you went somewhere else you were you know an explorer you were discovering things for yourself not discovering places for the first time they already existed of course but but now onwards from where we know the the world we've mapped the world now we're we're picking we're picking places on an atlas and on a map and we're saying i'm going there and what i want to experience is the question i think we have to ask ourselves when we travel is like how am i coming into this space and what am i asking of the people of the land of the of the culture and it's not to say like, cause you know, I think when you start to have these conversations, people are like, well, what do we do? Just not go anywhere or like, but their economy needs our help as well. Like the, they immediately jump to like right. those kinds of things. And it's like, it's not to say you can't ever travel somewhere. It's I think there's an awareness piece that comes with it, but I do agree with you that like sustainable travel or sustainable tourism is, is maybe something that can't quite exist because tourism as it, at its core is demanding. I, I love that you bring up the this this notion of like going to a foreign land in which you wanna be ood and odd and and see these traditional performances, taste mm. this traditional food, you know, and have what is a quote unquote authentic experience, right? Yes. Um but <laughs> oh. 
I feel sorry. It's a trigger like, word. This open kind of worms. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Um, yeah. And you know it. You boil it down, and you're like, well, wait a second. How? How do you define authenticity? Mm-hmm. And where does it fit into the experience that you want to have? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, mm-hmm. do you want to have an authentic? Jamaican experience but you don't want to leave the resort mm-hmm. you know and what an experience that happened to me that was kind of it was jarring for me as someone who identifies as as Indonesian so it put in part of my culture we have performances and we have you know rituals and, and spiritual things and one thing that I had always enjoyed, my family, quick sidebar, my family is from different parts of Indonesia, but the majority of them now live in Bali. And part of Balinese culture is incredibly spiritual. And one thing that often people have gone to see is a performance art piece, a, a, a dance piece, if you will, known as the Kachak dance. And for the longest time, I was like, this is so cool this is one of the you know easily accessible parts of this spiritual culture that people want to come and see and i i enjoyed it many times i think it's a beautiful piece of art and and until quite recently i had believed and even my mother and my grandmother where i get my indonesian heritage from also believed that this was you know centuries old so on and so forth come to find out in my um, master's program, I was casually doing some reading about performative authenticity and mm, stage. Yep, I've read that book as well. Yeah. <laughs> and I, a chapter on literally like Indonesian art and culture comes up and my world just crumbled. I was like, what? And this, apparently this Kachak dance had been developed by western influenced post-colonial artists who wanted to create a more appealing a more accessible and a more shall we say approachable part of Balinese spiritual culture and so they designed this dance for lack of a better term for white people to come and enjoy yeah yeah (laughs) And I remember reading that and I just, I like sank into my sofa. I was like, "Ah, what? (laughs) So it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that is part of the industry and you have to, it's so, I don't even really know how to describe how you would approach it or how you navigate being appropriate about it in a way that, is sustainable that meets the needs of everyone involved yeah yeah well and because with that dance as well like what i'm thinking of in addition to it was it was created to appeal to travelers looking coming you know and that performative um that performative activism or performative um authenticity performative activism is a whole other whole other thing um but for the performative authenticity i i'm it's also striking me that there's when it comes to authenticity what i've 
because that's I talked about that when I wrote my dissertation I read on authenticity and this desire people say they want an authentic experience and authentic for what how do you define it that kind of thing like we have to remember people are allowed to want to not perform for you so people who are native to a place are allowed to not want to engage with you in in Ireland I think you know a lot of people want to just sit in a pub and talk to a you know talk to Irish people because Irish people are so friendly right but like Irish people are allowed to not want to perform for you in that way they're allowed to not want to talk to you but trying to yeah just have more awareness I suppose of my role as the tourist in a space and that it's not always to have everything catered towards me it's not in this new trend of authenticity people are trying to move to the the small cafes and the smaller bars and pubs that are off the beaten quote unquote off the beaten track mm -hmm. and into spaces where locals are quote unquote locals are but for me it's like there maybe can be a bit of that but there also has to be this recognition that people in those spaces don't owe me mm -hmm. a performance whereas if I take a bus tour if I go to a museum if I am in a very specific tourism cultural heritage space that has been designed for me as a tourist, then the people who are there presumably have agreed to engage with me in that way. Absolutely. I I think this whole idea of, of like the, the local community in whatever capacity, whether it's art, food, space, time, performance, whatever, owing you something, I think that's, really an issue we're seeing post-COVID mm. and what I'm what I've noticed more and this is kind of an excellent segue into revenge tourism mm. um, that well done. I didn't I don't even have to be the interviewer you're already you're ready to go I I so for context for the better half of this year I was living in in Barcelona and it's an incredibly touristic city one of the most visited in the world and this spring into summer you really felt the resurgence of tourism in a huge way in the city that hadn't been felt in 18 months you know obviously with COVID and everything but this idea that suddenly you are owed more mm-hmm from the destination you visit because you have been trapped in your house you haven't been able to have the mobility you've had before you haven't been able to spend your money spend your time and that was so grossly evident in barcelona yeah that when people came it was almost as if they had and this isn't every tourist i, I this is a large generalization and yeah but I personally witnessed throughout my time living there that visitors would come and behave in a way that was completely abnormal to their normal lives. Yeah. And yes, I understand when you are a tourist and you are in this, shall we say, you know, hedonic sort of context in which you're trying to seek pleasure. Like, what do you do when you're on holiday, right? You're enjoying yourself. Mm -hmm. You yeah. want to do things that you Let like lose. right because you don't get to do it in your day-to-day -day life that doesn't which is give... another topic for another day but 
it doesn't give you the space or the permission to suddenly lose every sense of like what's the word like humility or mm. sensibility mm. that you would normally have and you don't you know I would see people getting upset that the lines were so long or yeah. um, people demanding that they have longer in a in a space because you know oh, it's been COVID and you guys need the business and I'm gonna spend this money well it doesn't really work like that you know yeah yeah I think we're like me working in a museum and just the ways I think that people come into the space and expect it to be even even expect it to be as it would be in their home country so like when the museum gets hot people are like well why you should have air conditioning the Americans come in where's your air conditioning why isn't your air conditioning on well mm. first of all this is a several hundred year old building so it's not <laughs> like it's that easy to put air conditioning in secondly Ireland normally doesn't get hot enough to warrant air conditioning so 90% of the places you're going to be will not have it anyway mm -hmm. and also like what am I supposed to do get the air conditioning right now for you mm -hmm. like right this second for you because you're hot right now but and it's this yeah it's that like what I noticed in the museum was this kind of demand for right now, this needs to be exactly the experience I wanted it to be because I've been dreaming about it for two years. So now it has to be exactly right. And mm -hmm. I'm not responsible for managing my own expectations. You are responsible for delivering on the expectations that I have and that you clearly could not have known about because you are not able to read my mind. Yeah. You had made that infographic for your Instagram and when mm -hmm. you had named it that you called it that revenge tourism, I was like, yes, this is this is exactly the the change that I noticed, but didn't have the words for. And it's it's understandable to an extent, right? Like, of course, if your trips were postponed for two years, like, you, you know, you want it to go really well. Absolutely. But the behavior that I've seen on display from people. In, yeah. And and we're both we're talking here both about two Western European countries. Mm -hmm. Um. So obviously, you know, I have no idea how it might have been in Jamaica, Mexico, Indonesia. Like, I don't know were people acting just as bad or worse, <laughs> as I'm, you know, might suspect. I think, I think we'll find out soon. Yeah. Um. From what I understand, a lot of Southeast Asia has been slower to welcome tourism back. Mm, right. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I think in the end of this summer and into a the shoulder season of like autumn, I guess, for the northern hemisphere, yeah. uh, we'll we'll start to see what really happens. And you know, I in the program, we all saw this as this huge opportunity, right? To make changes or to help enact changes within the industry to parts of it that were, shall we say, you know, uglier. Mm -hmm. it, bad for the environment, bad socially, socioculturally, bad economically, 
and it it almost has had sadly this opposite effect mm. where people have this it's it's like as you said it's like they've had their wings clipped yeah and suddenly they they have them again and they're able to do this again yeah. and you know i had the privilege of within europe with sort of within the adjacent countries to spain i, I was able to travel a good amount after my time in barcelona officially came to an end mm. um, but even then the act of traveling of moving was incredibly difficult mm, mm-hmm. you know people are i say people i mean travel organizations airlines train operators hotels everyone is struggling to maintain the experience to the expectation level as you said that people have pre-pandemic yeah and it is i mean i think i'm pretty sure you and your listeners have seen the news cycles of people losing it on planes you know mm-hmm. people having these meltdowns in the airport and like yeah this isn't just by by accident like i don't think this is by chance that things are suddenly getting worse you know yeah i agree it's it's one of those things where people had as you said opportunities to reflect in covid and even like you can reflect just before you leave to travel right like you can look around and realize that there are issues within your own town of having people employed at your favorite restaurant in your supermarket that there are issues of retention there that there are issues of shortages of things and public transportation systems if you live in in an area that has them that aren't working right and so it's it's this weird thing of like but when i get on the plane none of that is happening anywhere else it couldn't possibly be but it right. is like if not worse in some spaces you know in some yeah. i'm thinking of the the rail strikes in england so it's happening worse because people are trying to do something about it in that space i'm thinking of you know lines at airports because everybody's out with covid if they had the staff in the first place because yeah. covid has not stopped and some countries have varying you know degrees of rules and things but like in ireland when we were having really big issues it's was a understaffed but b a lot of people out with covid and still having quarantines in place so people not being able to come into work and so to think there's this weird is it cognitive dissonance of what's happening in my immediate surroundings and not realizing that that is also happening everywhere else and so then being frustrated because you have to wait in a line or because you know your flight's super delayed or you didn't get the attention you wanted it's like but like there's you're missing something and i don't understand the puzzle piece is quite obvious it's the last one in the puzzle yeah like it's right there in front of you what like how are you missing that this stuff is happening everywhere and that's then yeah preventing you from even starting to have any compassion for the fact that 
whatever place you're in is not going to be operated in normal quote-unquote normal times in previous times the way that was before that cultures are different so like I think about when people get upset coming to Europe because they don't get the same customer service as they would in the U.S. and they're like that's so weird people are not nice French are rude (laughs) like and it's like maybe or maybe they're just different right Derek consider that Like maybe they're trying to give you a different experience because it's not one that's rooted in people needing money from you to pay extra money from you to pay their rent. Like it's um yeah, it's it's one of the things about tourism and travel and yeah, this now coming out of COVID, it does just feel like it's all kind of snowballing into quite a dangerous way of being if people continue to enter tourism spaces with this with these kinds of attitudes mm-hmm. um and the, these mindsets and i don't mean attitudes as in like you have a bad attitude i mean attitude as in like your expectation your mindset going into it it's quite dangerous to think that people think it's okay to interact with strangers in this regard in any time but especially when people are so at their wits end because they haven't had a break because so much tourism is coming at them so much um with so with often fewer resources than they had been used to in the last heavy season absolutely and and i think it creates this sort of vicious cycle of Mm. you know frustration on the side of the tourist because they their expectations that they have clung on to for dear life for the last two years because their holiday has been postponed 17 times you know aren't met and then they behave a certain way in destination which or they you know negatively behave in destination which then affects the day-to-day work experience of someone who is part of the industry Mm -hmm. which then creates this further disdain for tourists Mm -hmm. right but at the same time the tourist economy is needed for this person to continue to sustain Mm -hmm. so it's just friction and friction and friction and you know where's the breaking point of that who breaks first right yeah and like and almost always it's the the local community that has to put up with it yeah so it's yeah. it's sad to see in some in some instances because it's it's like they under, they understand the value and the need but at what cost yeah exactly and unfortunately for countries that have been made out to be only places that are worth going as tourists they've been given no chance at any other sort of industry or stake in the game of this massive capitalist economically driven world that we've created they because they that is how the people sustain themselves in mass Mm. in a sense like what does that retaliation do to to those spaces most i think most harshly because right like a lot of these european countries will probably be fine like it's i mean you know i say that with 
things being tough in in every industry but like they they have other things that they do right they i won't get into i was going to say they wage wars they well (laughs) in more ways they export they you know they have their their things but these countries that have been deemed only valuable as scenic tourism spots resorts to go Mm -hmm. um cute little places to have a honeymoon how do they yeah i think they're the ones well they're obviously going to be the ones that suffer most longer term but they're the ones that we need to be looking to right now for like okay how is this behavior impacting the people involved in the everyday tourism industry and like how do we nip this in the bud um because yeah as you said it's who breaks first and when when does it break and how does it break um and it's not to say right like it's not to say well you know all these people who have been waiting on these trips for two years shouldn't have gone like no it's it's that's not it at all but it's it's i think what it always comes back to is like awareness awareness of how you are in a space and how you expect an experience to be do we have do you have any sort of tourism trends that you love or really really detest <laughs> um it's easy yes short answer yes yeah it's easier for me to begin with what i truly detest of <laughs> <laughs> and absolutely I, I detested this form of tourism before I really knew much about it, just based on what I pictured an experience in this type of tourism would be like. And now learning about it through the last two years and various research and things like that, I deeply, deeply detest it. And mm. I, I have to say it's cruise tourism. i find it just genuinely disgusting and (laughs) (laughs) and i'll tell you why so before i knew about it solely from a personal level i was like you mean i have to be on a boat that I cannot really get off yeah. for about a week. Yeah. Most likely surrounded by people who I don't know and probably won't like mm. because they like cruises. <laughs> and, and then I have to go on these, I get to choose these little excursions in which I get on a, a packed bus, get driven two hours to take a picture buy an overpriced bottle of water and then have to get back on the bus and drive all the way back to the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what hell sounds like to you, but that's what it sounds like for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then in learning about it, both environmentally, economically, socioculturally, you have this vessel, this huge, you know, gas guzzling ship Mm -hmm. that both 
effect, like what comes to mind is Venice. Mm. And Venice is a very delicate ecosystem for a number of reasons. Yes. And cruises are many studies that have been done on cruise tourism have shown that environmentally cruise tourism is literally destroying venice mm. the lagoon and everything around it and then you have this added layer where there is incredibly little engagement with local communities yes because like i said you get off the boat you take a pre-organized group trip to specific points that have been specifically designed for you as a cruise tourist to get the most out of it in however long the stop of the day permits so you are unable to potentially discover other things that would be more beneficial to local culture local society local economy right and then economically because these tourists are coming and buying things or spending money on things at these predetermined locations obviously there are whether it's formal or informal parts of that economy agreements with this tour operator that it has an agreement with this cruise company that they'll take you to this specific place and this specific place only yeah and so for the aforementioned reasons i will never <laughs> step foot on a cruise <laughs> yeah yeah i've never i've never seen the appeal of cruises myself not for me i'm trying to think of tourism trends that i i love or that i that i like and I have to to go back to what you said earlier about trying your best to visit places in which you have a connection with someone mm. that subsequently has a connection with that place. Yeah. Right? Because I think there's so much value in a personal connection with a destination or a place or you know, a site, which is why I felt compelled to learn more about tourism after visiting essentially a hometown of mine, one of my many hometowns, I suppose. Mm, yeah. But what was really special for me, and I think it's one of my favorite feeling feelings in the world, is when you are with someone or you're showing them something and they are having the time of their life or they're mm. enjoying something so genuinely, so like purely. And you know that exact feeling because you've had that enjoyment before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that's called. Is there a word for it? Probably in a language that is in English. Right. You know, it's probably one of those yeah. things we haven't quite found a word for yet in English. And then to build on that, when you have that feeling or that experience in a setting that it creates some sort of exchange, like I deeply, deeply see the value in cultural exchange. Mm -hmm. But again, how are we to have those experiences 
in a fully sustainable way. Yeah. Because it's not going to happen. Because if it's a remote place like where I'm from in Indonesia, from where I am now, I have to fly twice. I have to then drive six hours, seven hours across the island to get to where I'm going. And that obviously has immense environmental impact. But then does the positive impacts I have economically, culturally, whatever, does that outweigh the environmental impact? Mm. Or does the environmental impact outweigh the benefit I'm having on the community that I came from? Yeah, I am. And I think the tough part about talking about sustainable tourism as well is like it's it's not all our fault as individuals like we should definitely be thinking about yeah if i'm getting two flights to go to a place what is that footprint like but then we also know the trends of the celebrities with their private jets and actually how much damage they do Mm. in the way that they fly and so us taking in our economy seats on a full flight can we give ourselves permission to allow for an experience like that if we're considering yeah then the other impacts that we're having because again like i think so many people will jump to oh so i'm just never supposed to travel again then right like i can't do it but it's not yeah it's not that it's thinking through all of the aspects of it as well and like in the space that you're in what kind of you know sustainability efforts do they put forth or what do they have the capacity to put forth or how much are they contributing to the problems globally? How are they being most impacted by climate change as we're seeing in, in Pakistan, the uh, the figures Flooded. coming out about how they have, what, what is it, 1% maybe, maybe like 0.1% of total global carbon emissions. And yet they're a third of the, a third of the country, I think, is underwater. Yeah. And I think we're gonna have, like, as much as we have cultivated in the US, I think this idea of go out and see the world, you know, the world is your oyster, like we can go anywhere, like we have the right to go anywhere. I think we do need to start asking ourselves, at what cost? Yeah. At what, with what impact? And I think to segue into a travel tourism trend that I kind of enjoyed was this when covid lockdowns were happening that so many more people were inspired to actually just go and explore where they live because yeah. it's so easy i think to be like oh well i live here i've seen everything there is to see but like like even like there was even some of that kind of mindset i think at first in ireland you know small island people were like oh you know like i wish i could go somewhere else but then you know people would go out to a city town that they hadn't been to and they'd be like actually that was amazing that was beautiful i've never been i learned so much and so i think there's that was something that i really enjoyed seeing was this kind of inspiration to go and explore in the country that is your own Definitely. um and that has different kind of, you know, obviously, again, just depending on the size of the countries could have certain environmental impacts as well. But like, that was something I enjoyed um, as a as a concept was, yeah, traveling within your own space, exploring mm -hmm. it. For me, it, it is still a tourism when I'm traveling within Ireland, because like, it, this isn't my country, my home country, but like, you know, it's a bit of both, right? But like, because this is the place that I currently am residing permanent, 
but I say permanently, temporarily for the foreseeable, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was something that I, I was encouraged and inspired by. And Ireland kind of has the the weird benefit that if you went to the north, the currency changed. So you kind of felt like, ooh, like I really am abroad. <laughs> I'm different currency. And I think the one that I despise is the, is the authenticity. I mm. hate if you ever ask me, mm. I want, if you ever say to me, I want an authentic experience, I will immediately shut down. I will immediately like roll my eyes. <laughs> I'll probably give myself a few moments because I can't be like nasty back to you. And I'll probably try to come back at you with something like, well, what do you mean by authentic? Yeah. Authentic to whom? Mm -hmm. um, especially when people are asking me about coming to visit Ireland because like my authentic experience is one of someone from who is not Irish settling into Dublin. So my mm -hmm. authentic experience is probably not what you are talking about. My authentic experience is not the recommendation you're looking for. And what I often find when you start trying to get under these layers of what authentic is, what they just mean is I don't want to go on a bus tour. I don't want to go to the number one TripAdvisor place. I want to go to like the number 12 TripAdvisor place. And then I want you to tell me of a pub that is just off the beaten path enough that it's not overwhelmed with tourists and the pints don't cost 10 euro, mm. but that I still don't have to actually bear witness to the realities of the everyday life like I don't I don't want to feel unsafe or like I'm not on vacation or like I don't actually want to feel like I live in the place good mm -hmm. bad or otherwise I want to I still want to be able to be the tourist but not but be the only one or one of the only ones for me and I think that's why I despise it is because for me what I found is authentic for a lot of people just means not as touristy because that's just, it makes me look for Instagram just different enough that people mm -hmm. are going to say, oh my God, where is that? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I think we really, I, I despise it because we really have to ask ourselves, what, like, what the hell does that mean? Right. And can we not just say what we want to say, which is we want a really cute picture for Instagram that isn't the same picture everyone else is getting of the Eiffel Tower, but is that one random street that has like a cool like art deco design on the front door right you know absolutely and you can still find value in those off the beaten path places yeah like we, like yeah. We, we you would hope you do versus yeah. just getting the photo right. but i think we have to be honest with ourselves of do we want a photo do we want a like an inspirational photo op trip or do we want to engage with the spaces that we're in yeah and i think we chatted about it briefly a little while ago when i forget what high profile tur travel or tourism account posted it but it was something along the lines of know the difference between you can still be a tourist but wanting to avoid the tourist traps right yeah. like there's no shame in being a tourist no you can still that do that is, that's what you are yeah and there's nothing wrong you're not with that. fooling anyone right like <laughs> but i think that's definitely everything we've sort of touched on i think circles is is sort of like a 
a hub and spoke around this just concept of travel mindfulness. Yes, mindfulness, awareness, thoughtfulness, intentionality. So we're getting the warning that once again, we're out of time because I don't pay for my Zoom accounts. <laughs> um, but I, we can wrap up because I think, yeah, we've, we've gotten into this. I'll have to yeah. have you back again because I'm sure people will have thoughts and yeah. you and I are forever going to be talking about travel and tourism because forever. that's just the nature of our, of our relationship. Um, but I suppose to kind of end things, we've, we've talked about this a, a bit um, and you've answered mm-hmm. it a bit in some of your questions, but I'll end on the question of like, what is the best part of traveling for you? Um, yeah. As you've had these various experiences throughout your life, what's the best part for you? For me, so I've always been someone in, in, in my, my home culture as well. And I think this is mirrored through a lot of the world, but food is such mm. an integral part of my family and you know it's it was also a big part of of my identity growing up uh, because my the food that i ate at home was often very different to that of my peers and so i grew up as that with food as as a big sort of focal point of who i am yeah and uh, it, it eventually came to a point when I was living in Philadelphia that I was I would leave our office on Thursdays, Fridays, and I would go straight to a restaurant where I was working dinner service, cooking. And mm. that was sort of, that was as deep, I would say, professionally as I got into food. Mm. But I'm the kind of person when I travel, I discover a a city, a region, a destination by eating Mm -hmm. i will do a lot of research and find places that i want to eat at for various reasons yeah i am not afraid of a two-star trip advisor rating that doesn't Mm. scare me i want to meet the person who is behind this dish behind this menu behind you know, I want to know the story behind how you came to be a restaurant in this place. How how did you end up in this space? And, you know, obviously there's the the side of it that's like incredible food, yum. I want to try yeah. everything. But yeah. there's also the side to it where there's so much more to it because I think I identify as someone who growing up had so much more to it than just, oh, this is a funky food. Oh, like, Peter, what are you eating? Why do you have that? It stinks up the whole room. Why did you bring that to the office? Mm. Mm, because it's part of who I am. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd like to discover that in other places too. So for me, that's the best part. Yeah. Yeah. And your Instagram is chock full of amazing oh, yeah. <laughs> food photos. Amazing food photos. Um, are there any sort of last remarks, thoughts, things that you were hoping to say that we didn't get a chance to touch on yet any kind of final thoughts for you for today nothing for today i've i've already have a list that is too long for us to get into today Mm. (laughs) um so i am excited for when we can do this again yeah well thank you so much for joining and, and for Thank this really, so really great conversation. It's so nice when I get to be in 
conversation with people who I know are thinking about these same things and can mm-hmm. kind of help me put my thoughts together and like kind of get my yeah kind of get a different perspective maybe than what what path I was going down to as you have given me like new words and Mm -hmm. for what's been mulling about in my brain so I can just get it out there and like think about it so thank you absolutely thank you so much I think it really you know as someone in the field and hopefully will continue on in this field for the foreseeable future um, it definitely helps to articulate various topics and concepts and and yeah. things like that just to keep me fresh and on my toes about things as well because mm. it's a never changing thing and and what we try to do or you know in the work that I'm trying to do is you know ultimately reducing impact and you got to talk to the people you know you got to yeah. know how they feel about it so yeah thank absolutely. you absolutely okay well I will chat to you soon Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you enjoyed it, uh, you can follow at Any Crack Podcast on Instagram. You can shoot an email to anycrackpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow and like and subscribe and kind of whatever the various platforms that you do. Um, please do that because it helps it get out there to more people. You can follow Peter at Peter in Barcelona, and I'll have that in the description as well. Um, if you enjoyed kind of the topics today, um, he will continue, I'm sure, to post. Um, and you have a great archive of things already on there to start getting people thinking more and more. So um, until next time, bye.